This week on Developer Weekly. Designed for a high availability, designed for resiliency, actually designed for failure because that's 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 one of my models. If you don't design for failure, you're doing it wrong. Hey guys, I've been using Windows 10 for years now and I recently took the time to learn how to be more productive with it. There are lots of shortcuts and tools in Windows 10 that help me throughout the day. Do you also want to be more productive with Windows 10? Then check out my new Udemy course called Windows 10 Productivity Booster. You can check it out at azureberry.com windows. That is azureberry.com windows. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week I'm talking with Mike Martin about being a software architect. Mike is a Microsoft Cloud Solution Architect who is an Azure go-to for ISVs, which are independent software vendors and partners. He's been active in the IT industry for more than 20 years and has performed almost all types of job profiles, going from coaching and leading a team to architecting and systems design and training. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, thank you for having me, Barry. And uh, I'm doing great. I mean, the sun is shining. We had a little of a storm last night in Belgium, but all is fine now and happy to be here. That's excellent. Yeah, we also had the storm. You know, I'm not that far from Belgium uh, myself, but we don't have the sun uh, shining here. You know, we can't have it all. <laughs> you win some, you lose some, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you've done uh, all types of job profiles, almost all types of job profiles, going from coaching and leading to teams to architecting and systems designs. Is that mm-hmm. uh, just how your career progressed naturally? Yeah, yeah, it's actually it's actually that. I'm I'm one of those. How should I put it? Yeah, we I think we can call it safely dinosaurs in IT. <laughs> I started I started off my career in 1997 as a uh, VB. Uh, enterprise developer yeah, ah, yeah. so the, the, the good old days of vb5 and vb6 i yeah. started off with vb5 and then i moved over to vb6 and before i knew it i was into the dotnet world and in between i did some system management and during my natural career flow uh, when you grow some some seniority and when you grow some maturity in your job and in and as a, and as a person I also tended to do mentoring and coaching of people, whether it was uh, as, as an MVP, whether it was as a, as a colleague, whether it was as an onboarding buddy, doesn't matter. But I find that very, very, very important to have uh, people guiding and leading them into their career, in their, into their own career parts and giving them the opportunities that I never had because I never had a coach when I was young. I just mm-hmm. got thrown in there, <laughs> you know, like, Throw me in the water and start swimming. And and young young people, they they come from school and they, you know how it goes, right? They 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 don't know a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they they do get an education, but they don't know a lot about about the real life and how things work and how processors work and how and how and how real issues work. And yeah, and I find find it very important that people can can come to me and say, oh yeah. Well, can you mentor me? Can you coach me? So yeah, so this is this is how I got to grow as a as a person as a as an IT person uh, from a developer uh, over to architecture. I did some software architecture too, but now I'm mostly focus focusing on, on cloud solutions and solution architecture. So I just try to uh, 
screw all together the the, the nuts and bolts uh, that that go together when you want to build something new. This ah, is what I do. Okay. This is what I do the last. This is what I've been doing the last, I think, ten years now. So yeah, wow. it's fun. That does sound like a thought. It's fun. And to come back to the coaching, that is extremely important indeed. It's uh, it's so valuable to have a good coach and to have that opportunity to be coached as well. Uh, I've had that opportunity as well. I've had a great coach. And that really uh, contributed to where I am today because otherwise I'm pretty sure I, I wouldn't be where I am today without a coach. So it's very important. Uh, you touched on something... Uh, interesting there as in you did some software architecture but now you focus on solution architecture is there a difference between the two yeah for me it is i mean software architecture is really about um, designing an application from the bottom up um, keeping into account best practices when developing and mm -hmm. when uh, when when trying to optimize the best path for warm and cold inside of an application and you try to take a look at what, what what's the best framework uh what's the best approach on that framework shall we go for language a b or c um how do my classes work how how is my how is my entire layout of my services working you know all these things uh, ranging from database design to to all the things uh connecting to it hmm. uh, where solution architecture is 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 taking just not only that application, but also all the other bits and pieces that, that make a full solution. Because typically a solution is, you can see a solution as an application, but the solution typically goes way beyond that. A uh, solution also has backends. It has uh, messaging interfaces that you need to design and take a look on how, how transport must, must, must work. Um, Design for high availability, design for resiliency, actually design for failure, because that's 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 one of my mottos. If you don't design for failure, you're doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> we can we can go over that one later on in, in in this show. But the thing is, the thing is that um, you need to find all the best components that will make your solution work as best as you've foreseen it. And that could be whether you're designing for customers, whether you're designing a new platform where you want to be the next Spotify. For instance, to give you to give you something, or even if you're designing a solution to be an ERP inside of your company, where you have a part for HR, where you have a part for for, for uh, stock management, where you have a part for um, supply chain, all these things, and they run on different they run on different infrastructure, they run on different um, underlying softwares, on, diff on different underlying backends, and so on and so on, and putting all these together, that is what in my eyes is 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 doing solution architecture it's a little bit of an extension to and adding up to enterprise architecture where our enterprise architecture is more about uh, getting um, practices into the enterprise and, and and having standards and and watching from an ivory tower and they always say that, that, that <laughs> an enterprise architect is, is sitting up there in the tower uh, it's a little bit true because they do it they have an overseer um an overseer role inside of a company, but a solution architect is still is still dabbing in, inside of the mud and and, and and walking through the dirt and, and making his hands dirty. Uh, maybe not as 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 a coder, but more as I'm going to design something. I need to think about it, and yeah, and you start doing things like whiteboarding, you, brainstorming sessions, uh, designing. Uh, 
invalidating ARM templates if you're doing Azure or whatever you have in 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 another cloud because it it doesn't matter what what platform you're on. A cloud solution architect is somebody who really designs a full solution and knows from A to B, from A to Z, what is running in between and how they need to be connected to all these parts. Uh, right. So, yeah, a solution is then something that is made up of different parts, different maybe applications and services. Mm -hmm. Like one application could be the UI, another application could be a background worker, another could be the API, let's say. And uh, you then connect all these pieces together as a solution architect, whereas a software architect would go into one of those pieces. So let's say the API and would then design whatever that API does and pick the uh, the frameworks to use. Is it entity framework or something else? Or how do you connect to the data? Uh, how do my classes look? Things like that. So as a solution architect, do you not even bother with the software architecture anymore? As in, do you uh, think about, well, should this be uh, uh, an old school three tier application or should it be something else? Or should we use microservices? Or does that not matter for your solution architecture? Well, that's actually a good question because I still bothered. Um, <laughs> because as my role at Microsoft um, as a CSA, uh, because we make it short, Cloud Solution Architect, if, if I just start just saying my, my title, Fully, I had I spent most of my time just mentioning my <laughs> title. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. Uh, no, but uh, as a as a CSA, we 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 also take a look at that because you need to make some choices, um, and depending on the choices that you have, you will also be driven in kind of uh, solution choices that you're going to implement it. Like for instance, if you go on, if you want to do a a multi-tiered uh, application. And you know that you're going to run a backend, and you know that you now need some intermediate layers to have communication. Well, you can you can just run that anywhere. But if you really want to do a design on on let's say like the the latest bus and highport uh, microservices, you need to think differently. And and so you do need to have a, an insight on how uh, how applications are being built and how. The developer and the, the the software architect is thinking about well we want to build something like this and we want to we want it to look like that and we we have these requirements and we have these um, uh, we have these settings going on. Mm -hmm. You need to know what is happening. So and if you don't understand how software is developed, you cannot go concretely into the the good guidance on how they should build a solution in the end. That's a little yeah. bit of thing. So, yeah, because uh, because an application, you know, it needs to run on something, and especially when you're thinking about cloud solution architecture, it needs to run on some service in the cloud. And then depending on the architecture of the solution, you might be able to run it in a container or on a Azure App Services web app, or it should be something completely different, like a exactly. service fabric or something, or something. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, it depends on it depends on really on the on the on the goal you want to achieve and uh, yeah, really the 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 end the end goal that you wanna you wanna draw up to to your customers right. or your end users basically. So that's 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 very important. Yeah. So then you work closely with the software architects who then mm -hmm. guide and build those uh, individual applications. Uh, could we say that a cloud solution architect? is managing software architects is the boss of software architects or is it different it's different i in my role if if you if you're working in a in a company 
as a as a cloud solution actually because our roles are not are not limited to Microsoft only. I mean, mm. today, if you if you take a look at the at the job landscape, you see cloud solution architect popping up in every kind of company, whether it's BP to give to give an example, or whether it's at some uh, at some financial institution, they all have them. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that a uh, cloud solution architect doesn't only work with software architects; they also work with operations guys. They also work with uh, business stakeholders. And typically, they work mostly, uh, as in my role, uh, with the CTOs and the lead architects of a company. Um, I have a, and, and as you as you introduced me, you said I'm a go-to for ISVs. So an ISV is an independent software vendor, and they build software to sell. And mm-hmm. that could be uh, typically that's a SaaS model. And typically, when I when I get being pushed inside of the loop of of, of doing something together with them. I talk to the uh, CTO, uh, I talk to the lead architects, the lead developers, but also the leads who are running today's operations, whether it's uh, infrastructure guys, whether it's monitoring guys, whether it's a DevOps team, uh, God forbid that it that it's it, that is being called a separate role because DevOps is a <laughs> is a culture, it's not a role. <laughs> I think we I think we all agree on that one. Um, but yeah, it, I I I'm not limited only to software guys. Um, it's just a little bit like a good solution architect and a good cloud solution architect needs to know how infrastructure works and needs to know what what those guys are doing from a job perspective and where they can add value as they also need to know how the application is being written. And look at it like this. I mean, you as a developer, you should know about Windows or the underlying operating system to yeah. make sure that you that your software is running smoothly. And you should know about all the pitfalls that that could happen, like memory allocation and all these things. As a IT pro, you should also know how a developer works and how software is written, because if you don't know that. How do you know that it's not your system that is failing when something happens with your code? And where it's a code, you, you always have this have this little uh, quiddle between developers and IT pros, right? They, they go like, yeah, it's 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 your system because there's not enough memory, and then the, the IT pros go, oh, it's your it's your application because you're writing it wrong. Actually, they should both know what they're doing, only more in depth on their side of of their story, and have a good high level overview. I need to first oversee almost everything but knowing what every what every party is doing and making sure that they talk together on the on the on the correct spots and that they are focusing on the correct issues and that's a little bit what a, what a cloud solution architect also does it's it's overseeing a full solution from a to z as i already mentioned whether it's application wise whether it's uh, monitoring wise whether it's in devops uh focus or application lifecycle management focus or ITIL focus or an infrastructure focus, we have an overview on the solution. Hmm. So it's really, it's really, it's really, it's a fun job because you get all aspects of a, of building something new. You're not limited only to like focusing on the latest.NET framework uh, and, or, or fiddling around with JavaScript or 
getting angry by JavaScript (laughs) 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 or or whether you need to focus on, I need to take a backup of the solution and I need to monitor my CPU throttling on on my VM and God forbid that you're still doing VM when you're doing cloud. So it's, it's these things, right? So a cloud solution architects is, it's omnipresent and we only do a good cloud solution architect in my eyes guides, make sure that everybody gets aligned and that everybody knows what they're doing from their perspective, but in the uh, glass pane of the over, of the overall uh, achievement. Right, yeah. And that all with uh, the added value of the solution in the back of your mind, because obviously that will then be the most important thing where you're... Um, uh, the business stakeholders uh, tell you what the requirements are, or you need to mm-hmm. fish fish that out somehow, find out what they actually want from you. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you tie together all these services and applications and all the departments as well, including all the heads of departments and uh, architects, so IT uh, infrastructure architects, solution architects, or software architects, other people that are involved, security architects, you name it, depending on the organization, they might have a whole slew of architects. I've definitely seen that. <laughs> True. <laughs> that sometimes also involves lots of politics because that oh, means yeah. that you need to make all of these people work together to create this solution and to run the solution and also to support the solution. Because if they are not behind the solution, they think, oh, our company shouldn't should never have uh, started this project in the first place, then this will never work. And the added value for the company will not uh, exist in the long run. So how do you deal with that? How do you make all of these parties work together? <laughs> yeah, the politics part is the <clears throat> is actually the worst part of my job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I get involved in, into some nasty discussions. Now, the beauty of this all is that uh, typically I, when I go to partners or ISVs, uh, I always have a partner in crime. And typically that's somebody who, who does the more on the business side, in the administration side, meaning that um, I work for the OCP, so the uh, One Commercial Partners Organization within Microsoft. So we are really focusing on partners. And we do build with them. Um, We meet on a regular basis and stuff. But again, I don't have to do this alone. So we typically go in these these kind of political meetings, good cop, bad cop, and we make sure that we have... Uh, somebody at our hand that is that is pushing along with us, and typically we we if we talk to the CTO, they have they have like a good a good foot in the uh, between the door, and knowing how to how to enforce something within the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also need to make sure that their culture doesn't get ruptured or broken. So because you need to respect what they're doing, right? It's I mean it's hard enough to 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 build something, but you also need to make sure that uh, you need to keep everything running. You, keep, you need to keep the lights on, stuff like that, right? Yeah. So it's 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 not more. It's not only about building the new stuff. It's also making sure that they are comfortable with it and that they that they can still do their own thing. So I only advise on what they should be doing and how they should be looking at things. Uh, but if they want to, if they if I say well, you shouldn't be doing this. But rather this, and they say, well, yeah, but we still want to go that road because we have no experience, and that all oh, fine with me. I mean, I'm and I'm I'm game with that. You should, if you if you feel comfortable comfortable about something, keep doing what you're doing. Um, 
but sometimes you just need to disrupt and then and then i can sometimes get a little bit rough with with partners and <laughs> saying well okay look at look at this you're you see that wall you're hitting there at 300 miles per hour without brakes <laughs> yeah yeah, and no airbags. It's gonna hurt. So, and you're gonna you're gonna do a lot of damage if you if you don't listen to me. And typically, I get they get me. And the reason why is because I I and this sounds like corny and it sounds like 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 uh, bragging, hmm. but typically I come in and I try to gain trust from a, from moment number one. And that's for me yeah. the most important part when I when I go in into a company i need to gain trust first i need to become their trusted advisor and that sounds like a really cheesy sales line but that's really the thing since you're talking to so many stakeholders and since you're uh involved in so many levels of that of that thing without actually working there because don't forget you're, i'm still a stranger for everybody yeah it, you you do you do need that additional edge and that's that's the trust factor and it helps of course that that i work for a company which has a good um visibility on the market and which has a good uh, name for itself i mean we we are a trustworthy company or at least most of most of the people see, <laughs> see us like yeah. this uh we're not we're not a microsoft like uh, from 20 years ago right <laughs> uh, we're not the, the ball of Microsoft anymore. No, we no. are a trust. We are a trustworthy organization, uh, but I also need to bring trust. And to be honest, I did that before before my Microsoft days too. I mean, I work now for uh, with Microsoft for, for three years almost. Before that, I was an MVP. I I got to be everywhere and I, I got to make a name for myself and unfortunately my name travels faster than people who get to see me so that, that's a disadvantage <laughs> but it also brings trust and that's the if that's the one lesson that i've learned during my career is that speaking to people listening to people and assuring them that they're doing the good or the bad and trying to help them without being rude to them and without being um pushy that's the thing that you need to achieve and from there out the, the politics go like as they should go and there's always like uh, some guy or so or some woman that is like ah we shouldn't be doing that because blah 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 blah, blah, blah legacy and, and, and all this shit yeah but we get past that point at a certain point in time so don't worry about it and then and, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, I've seen, I've seen disruption. I've seen disruption in innovation at companies that I thought they will never innovate. And <laughs> which is, which now is actually being proven that they, they, that, that they can actually do something useful, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they still have a lot of internal politics. And typically these are the, the larger organizations like telcos from the old days or utility companies or uh, uh, financial institutes. Um, so yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. You know, building trust is the most important thing that you need to do, and it's not a cheesy thing, I think, at all. Especially when you do it uh, genuine, you know, like it sounds like you're doing when you're open to people, and you actually listen to their concerns and their input as well, and take that seriously because you know it's these people's jobs. It's what they do all day. It's their livelihood. It's their status, their career that they've built right there. So, you know, you need to be sensitive to that. 
Exactly. So uh, being a solution architect sounds like an extremely senior role here. So it involves lots of things, technology, uh, politics, being able to convince people, being able to oversee the whole landscape. Does it also involve a bit of project management or do you leave that to uh, a colleague? I uh, just dropped that over. I just, <laughs> I just give that, I hand it over. It's like a hot potato. I, I hand it over and I, um, I leave that to others. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing projects anymore as, as we used to do them in the past. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm not involved really in, into the hands-on development. I do validations. I do reviewing. I do uh, the thinking part together with them um, and, and, making sure that once we start designing something, we we get to a consensus and then that's done, right? And then I start doing overseeing, seeing how our state is coming and, 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 and how it is coming along and if they need any more guidance or need any more help or we need to review some things or they, 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 they stumble upon something which is, which is causing them issues or troubles. Then I get impacted again, but no, I'm not, I'm not doing the project management. I'm not a, I'm not an, um, I should have put it, I'm not a scrum master. I'm not a, a project manager. I'm not an HR coach. No, no, I, I'm just there to, to make sure that the solution is getting built and making sure that they make the correct choices in the end. And that's, that's luckily enough because elsewhere, if I would be doing that, I mean, I'm doing, I have such a, a, a um, swinging job meaning that I, I for one hour i work with this customer uh the next hour will be working with another if i would were to do project management on all of those that would be insane and then i would need at least 144 hours per day instead of 72 so that's <laughs> that's, that's that's the thing so yeah you you need to, you need to be um you need to be flexible that's the thing but doing project management, no, because a, a project manager should be really on onto each itty bitty nitty nitty gritty part yeah. of the of a project, and and you need to follow up on timing and 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 and, and planning and and all these things, and that's certainly something not, which is not allocated to me because actually I'm I'm very bad at project management myself for myself, so <laughs> let let alone that I would do it for customers, but just running into something playing good cop, bad cop, and, 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 and then helping them out, guiding them, uh, doing on-the-fly calls, and, and, and see, uh, putting them back on the rails. Perfect. A project management, no. And that's not, that's not even in our job description either. So That's good. That, that's very good. Otherwise, it also would confuse your job as well. You, you already have many hats on, and this would be uh, way too much. Indeed, indeed. So when you are at a customer that has, uh, let's say, an existing solution, and they want to uh, bring that to the cloud to then uh, maybe add to it or uh, give it new capabilities. I, I imagine that you run into that scenario relatively often. How Almost do you, every day. <laughs> how do you do that? How do you go about that? Let's say it's a website with a database with a couple of APIs. Let's keep it simple. How do you bring yeah. that to the cloud? Well, we first take a look on, on, on how they're building it today and um, what their goal is. Do they want to really do a, a lift and shift or do they want to modernize or, or so we, we first have some awesome intakes and we take a look on how how things are constructed and what what the impact might be if we move it to the cloud mm -hmm. um, 
is it is it highly connected inside of your uh, enterprise network is it is it is it the software that is running alone and then we start looking at the possibilities what 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 kind of technology does it does it mean written in what kind of um framework is it running on is it still viable in in the next year uh, to be honest uh, we, we don't want to migrate something which is being written in let's say asp 1.1 for instance yeah. or, or or stuff like that so we take a look we take a good look on what what is existing we do we do some we do some analysis on that and then we start discussing and typically i i try to work uh, i try to inject them into the cloud without going the lift and shift way. I mean, it's fairly easy to move an application fully into the cloud just by moving the VMs. Hmm. Because typically when they're running on-prem, they're running on, on some sort of a hypervisor or even bare metal, which is also fine. I mean, uh, and then it's just like, okay, we just want to lift and shift. If you're doing that, you're not doing cloud. That's just hosting a VM. Just yeah. another hypervisor that you're using, and that's and that's a pity because we, if you want to design a good design for failure, you're not doing VMs. VMs don't scale. VMs don't uh, are extremely hard to manage. They have a lot of overhead when it comes down to to uh, high availability. You need to set them up active passively or active active, so they come with a bigger cost. So it, all these things together make VMs a very bad landing zone for your for your solution when you want to do clouds. So we're yeah. gonna take a look. We, then we're gonna start taking a look on. Okay, you wrote some APIs. Are they complex? What are you running on? Well, but we have we have a complex solution. And, and the funny thing <laughs> is, every customer and every partner that I speak to, they always have the same problem. Oh, yeah, but we're unique in the world and. Yeah, no, they all, all say facing, that. Yeah. yeah, they all say that, but they all say, they all face the same the same issues, yeah. and they all do the same stuff. Basically, it just looks <laughs> a little yeah. bit different, but they basically yeah. do the same stuff. So, and what I typically try to do is I take a look on what they have, try to break it up into smaller components, and say, look, if you you have a database, use it as a server, or use it as a service, maybe even in a serverless option. And don't worry about the, the overhead management. Focus on your application and focus on the content in there. And also then maybe f start already focusing on what the next step would be because you have a lot of data that you're sitting on. You have a lot of um, telemetry that you're sitting on and maybe you can build something additional in there that your application will be enriched with and that you can offer as an additional value to your, cust to your customers or to your partners where they can benefit from and where you even can benefit yourself from because you're gonna make a lot of more money. And this is typically they go like, oh yeah, 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 but we're not ready for that yet. So we we have a five to ten year plan, and then you're like, five to ten year plans. That's that's shooting yourself in the foot, and before you know it, you go bankrupt. And that's one of those disruptive moments when I really play the bad cop, and I, and I go like, oh, sorry, then I'm out. If you if you're talking to me like that, that means that you don't want to go to the cloud. You just want to run your solution somewhere else because you think it's cheaper. And it's also, that's also a false given. They go like, yeah, yeah, the cloud, it's, it's cheaper than blah, 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 blah. Yeah, if you're running VMs, think again. VMs are the most expensive way of running cloud. And 
you know what? It's going to be even more expensive than running it in your own data center at that point in time because hardware vendors, they will give you credit and they will give you a lot of this um, discount. I mean, I mean, I was in I was in a, a discussion a couple of months ago and those guys said, yeah, can you make us a price for, for, for running our solution in, in, <laughs> in Azure? And we're like, dude, pricing, really? You want me to do that? Yeah, because we have a, a hardware vendor. Um, and they gave they give us up to eighty percent of discount on their hardware. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't compete with that. That's never gonna work. And you're never gonna go to the cloud with that with that kind of a mentality. But then you start discussion. What do you want to do next? And how many people are you gonna do? Are you gonna be using for your management of all these of all these things? And then they start thinking. And 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 then, so you need to take a look at at uh, at a, a, a facet that comes with cloud solutions that is CDA or cost-driven architecture, that's part of it. And if you're doing cost-driven architecture, you will see that you need to look for alternatives which are fairly better, uh, fairly cheaper if you're running cloud-native development and if you're running cloud-native services instead of running them yourself because the TCO will be a lot lower. You don't have to worry about the underlying OS, the framework, the, the patching, backing up, monitoring these things because typically they are all included. And also these cloud-native services, they scale for you. They make sure that they become higher available. They have a better SLA. It's all these things that come together. and. This is where where a cloud solution architect needs to focus on. It's 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 all these additional things in cloud nativity that can bring benefit to to the partners and to the customers. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Plus, uh, what I also usually see with customers is when they start to move to the cloud, when they want to move to the cloud, for instance, uh, because they don't want to renew their own data center contract they don't take into account that their current solution should also be highly available, which usually it isn't. They may, might yeah. have, have one copy of a VM where in the cloud, where they then say, well, we can go to the cloud, but it needs to be 99.95% available. All right, then you need two VMs and you need a couple other solutions, which is going to be more pricey, of course, but you should have done that already on-premises, which you didn't, which makes your on-premises environment way cheaper than uh, running it in the cloud. If you exactly. don't count the people that actually maintain all those VMs and deploy stuff to it. Exactly. And then they then, then they then they figure out that I actually our application cannot go in an in a uh, high available state because we have stateful applications and yeah. <laughs> we need to redesign yeah. part of these things. And yeah, yeah, we run sessions on the on the load balancer, but we always yeah. point them to the same VM. And then up, oh, uh, it's it's like opening the box of Pandora. It's like <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. I I know what's going to happen, but they don't realize what's going to happen. And that that's the fun part of my job too, because I can get them to give surprises and and, and make them think about what they're doing. <laughs> but boy, have I seen stuff. I've seen things, you know, <laughs> you don't want to go there. Yeah. You really don't want to go there. So, yeah, uh, I mean, and, and then still they can they can still do a bad design when they're when they're moving to the cloud. I mean, hmm. you have this this concept of availability sits yeah. and they think and I've seen customers really like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, 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 have, we have a we have a fully high available solution because we put our VM in an availability set. Mm. <laughs> well, it doesn't, doesn't work you, that way per se. 
<laughs> have you have you ever read about availability sets and what you should be doing? You should at least have two VMs in there. Don't forget, it's about updating fault domaining. So if your VM is being updated, you're in a pickle because your service goes down anyway. And yeah, don't think about these things. And that's a fun part, you know. <laughs> this is where I like sneakily up, uh, start laughing in, in my inner self and, and enjoy myself. And yeah. that's the best part of my job. But in the end, we try to help them out anyway, and so they and we don't want them to learn the hard way. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it can be very daunting to move to the cloud, especially you know, uh, because customers are then faced with their technical debt that they that they've never knew that they had because you know oh, things yeah. were just running and working, but their solutions usually weren't highly available nor scalable, which they didn't mind that much. But now in the cloud you're faced with that because you kind of have to. And so you need to solve all that uh, technical debt and invest in that, which then seems very pricey, but that's stuff that you should pay anyways at some point in your on-premises solution as well. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, the technical debt part, yeah. And and typically we we only talk about technical debt when when we see... Uh, software components. Uh, mm. we, all, we all use some some form of, of tracking of technical depth, whether it's just looking at coverage of your of your code, but also technical depth is also a risk because it can be typically it's it's security risks too. <laughs> so yeah. that's also yeah. something that they don't think about. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it it's it's challenging for them and they 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 don't realize that they are are making it work that they can be making it worse for them just move everything over like you said just like oh yeah we just lift and shift it then we will see yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> let's talk again in a year <laughs> <laughs> goodness you have such an interesting job so uh, you are then a solution architect which uh, i refer to as a very senior role as you have, have all these things that you need to take into account and uh, uh, you can also be a software architect so if people now are software developers or maybe you're a lead developer and are aspiring to be an architect and maybe later on a cloud solution architect or another solution architect, how would they go about that? Is there uh, a school for that? <laughs> are there courses for that? How would you do that? Well, I I got to taste a lot of things. I mean, I uh, I got the opportunity when, when I was working for one of the larger con- uh, consulting firms that I uh, got a TOGAF course. Hmm. This is useful and not useful at the same time because it's it really is all about common sense and as we say in Dutch, gezond boerdeverstand. But but the thing the thing is, how do you get there? Is it should be a natural flow. You should be starting to pay interest to to looking beyond the scope of just coding or beyond the scope of just uh, maintaining a system. And the first step in there is to see how things work. As I, as I said earlier, as a developer, you should know how your Windows works or how your Linux works. And as a, uh, a system engineer, you should know how code works and you sh- should do some scripting or whatever you do and you should have an understanding. If you're already there, you, sh- you, see, the bigger, you see the bigger picture and bringing to that level, you can add up uh, looking at patterns and practices. 
uh, that's typically, and I know you have uh, patterns in, in, in software development, but also in, in when you're doing solution design, you also have the same patterns that return, but on a different level. Right? You can in, you can, uh, look at a, a circuit breaker pattern, for instance. You can bake that in code, but you can also have uh, a setup that will, will kind of implement that circuit break. So it's yeah. all these things together that will get you there. And as you said, it is indeed a senior role because Typically, you need to have a lot of experience in 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 failure. Uh, you need to you need to make sure that you've run through a lot of different projects, or at least had a lot of challenges in projects, whether it was issues, whether it was things that aren't that aren't working as they are designed to be working, or uh, that you think they were working like that, but they aren't working like that. It's 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 these things that that will kind of push you into that. Then of course the, the the sheer interest in in just by becoming a little bit more mature and, and and willing the willingness to step out of the keyboard and out of the coding practices and starting to look at yeah if I do this and if I build a solution in Azure for instance what do I need and and how do these things work together so you you read a lot. And you need to have a broad interest. You need to you need to take a look at all the aspects of, of solution design, whether it's uh, security, whether it's stability, whether it's performance. Where it's all these things that come together. And typically, you don't you don't have those things when you do coding. Typically, you do coding and you have you open your Visual Studio or your JetBrains Rider or VS Code or whatever you're using as an IDE, and you stay inside of that world. As, a, as an ops guy, you have your Nagios or, or your, your ServiceNow or whatever tooling that you use to monitor and to, to, to have a better overview of your systems, uh, system center or whatever you have. Hmm. But you need, to, you need to start looking on, yeah, where can we implement those things and, and how, what, do the, what does an impact have on, on those tools, on my software and vice versa? And looking at that broader thing. For me, it came as a natural thing because I was really interested in systems management and I was really interested in development. And this cloud thing really made my really made my job a lot easier because now I had to do both at a certain point in time. I've been doing Azure for 10 years now. I was there from the beginning. I wasn't an MVP from the beginning, but I was there from the beginning. I played with the first version of Azure. Up until today, I'm still doing a lot of research inside of Azure and beyond that. So it, you need to have a broad interest, um, again, not only to software development, but also to, to, to uh, what, what system management is, how, how, how storage works. It's all these little things together that make uh, architecture working for you. And software architecture is a little bit easier because you start doing class design, as I, as I said earlier. But solution design, you really need to pick up all these different pieces. And... Cloud really makes that that step a lot easier because before you know it, you know that you should be deploying to an app service, but you also need to make sure that, oh, if I'm going to deploy to an app service, I need to make sure that that gets thrown into an, a template and then immediately you see you bounce against some boundaries like, oh yeah, but there's dependencies in there on different services. There's storage dependencies. I need to have a webhook available for those things. Um, I need to implement a DevOps strategy to make sure that my software can get updated without it, it goes down. So I need to have a concept of load balancing. And before you know it, you're actually doing also systems management and system mm -hmm. 
looking into. You need to know what IP is. You need to know what DNS is. Everybody needs to know what DNS is. We should all forget about IP. IP, IP addressing is good when, you, when you're planning ahead for Kubernetes, but when you, as a developer, you need to know what DNS, how DNS works, what, what happens when you swap a slot and, 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 and things like that. Why is my website going down because I just changed my DNS name or with with restarting an, uh, an app service because your IP address changed. All these things and combining those will give you an insight inside of the solution you're building and this will bring you to that level of solution design uh, and solution architecture. Right. Yeah, so it's an, uh, a combination of uh, experience, having a broad interest in all sorts of things, including ops and security, performance availability, you name it. Uh, being able to see the big picture, which I think also comes with um, experience, but also having an interest in actually getting out of the code and seeing the big picture. And I think people can also do courses that might help, like for instance, TOGAF, like you did, uh, but also maybe get certified as in get an Azure certification for a solution architecture, yep. where uh, it talks about high availability performance, business continuity, things like that. Uh, so it happens, I actually created a couple of courses for a Pluralsight path that you can use to get that certification. Which are really good, by the way. Oh, thank you. I didn't know you uh, watched them. <laughs> oh, actually. yeah, yeah. I have, I have a Pluralsight uh, uh, subscription, and I, I, uh, mm. I typically go and take a look at, uh, for, for advising others if they want to do something, what, what is good material. And ah, yours right. comes up pretty, <laughs> pretty a lot a couple of times. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, th those are, I think, some, uh, some practical steps that people can do. All right, I think uh, we are at the end of the episode. This was very useful and uh, it taught me a lot. Thank you very much for teaching me about uh, solution architecture. Well, it was, a pl it was my pleasure. And it, I'm actually pretty proud of myself because you learned something and I never thought I, could, I was be able to learn to teach you something. So that's, that's a good thing. No, I had fun. <laughs> this, is this was really, really a lot of fun. So uh, thank you again for having me. All right. Excellent. This has been another episode of Developer Weekly, and we'll see you next week. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much.